Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Stay Curious, a podcast where we want to create diversity in thought without creating division in community. I am your co-host, Matt Fisher. I am part of the team here at Hill City, where we are recording this and most every episode of the podcast, pan- uh, pandemic notwithstanding. And I'm here with my co-host, Mr. John Wagler. John, what's going on, man? This cold is what's going on. You got a cold. Yeah, it's we're nine days deep. I like that a new symptom of a cold is also shame, because it's everybody true. thinks that you have coronavirus. It's crazy. Like, I... <laughs> was in the store the other day and really needed a cough. And I was like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do here. And I'd try to find like a quiet corner and like cough really quick. And yeah. So to those listening today, if you hear me cough in the background, <laughs> sorry. Notice how extra sultry your voice I is. Know. Welcome to <laughs> Hey there. Welcome to Stay Curious. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, cool. Thanks. every. And there it is. There it is. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Um, today, we are going to just kind of – it feels weird to just talk about anything besides all the crazy stuff that's going on. I feel like we've constantly struggled with, should we talk about, like, a theology thing or could we skip over to, like, space or talking about something? But it just feels weird to, like – it feels like that meme with the dog sitting in the office and there's fire everywhere. And it's just like, this is fine. Yeah. <laughs> We need a good space story. Yeah. <laughs> to I mean, SpaceX diverge. did a thing the other day, right? That's true. I don't know. Yeah. Sp- I you know what? Space isn't in the Bible. I know. <laughs> well, I could argue maybe it is. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, not in, in our, Bible. Not, not in the way we think about it, but. We started talking about Nephilim and, like, all the weird, like, extra uh, super creatures in the Old Testament. That is probably definitely worth an episode. That's a wild... (laughs) Yeah, we could do that. That would be... We'd have to do a little more prep work for that, though. Yeah. But, yes. A hundred percent. That's not what we're talking about today. We are talking about current events still. And today we wanted to kind of focus on um, just... Some of the nuance that we feel like is missing in the conversation around not just policing, but um, the idea of sort of systemic injustice um, in our culture and how we can separate um, or continue to, again, add nuance to loving people individually while also following God's um, example of hating injustice and wanting to see uh, inequity sort of wiped out as best we can uh, this side of heaven. Um, And so I kind of wanted to start off talking a little bit about some of these ideas that um, folks have seen start to proliferate, stuff like F12. We we will not say the F word, but there may be like – PG, PG-13, like one or two, <laughs> we, may, we, Maybe, may, yeah. we may say one or two of the words. Uh, but, you know, this idea of like F-12, um, which is like a, a chant against, 12 is actually the, the drug unit specifically, but has just kind of become a an F the police type of thing. Um, there's ACAB, uh, which we see a lot of. Yeah, which I didn't know what that was until one day when we were walking together. I was like, hey, what does ACAB mean? And <laughs> yeah, so- and so that means all cops are bastards. Um, that is a, that's a thing that has been around for a while. That was like a very, um, punk culture or sort of like counterculture thing. Like I have a friend who used to play bass in my band wrist rocket and he has an ACAB tattoo. Um, but, but has for 10, 10 plus years. 
So um, that's another one. And defund the police. And then you also see abolish the police. Right. Um, and then, of course, there's like sort of the age old uh, uh, comparison to pigs or animals, sort of dehumanization mm-hmm. of police. So we just kind of wanted to tackle that, get it out on the table and just um, go at it from a biblical perspective. But then also John and I obviously have not necessarily different perspectives because I think we're both very anti-dehumanization of any person. Yeah. Um, but like, as was just an example, I knew about ACAB for a long time. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and yeah, it's yeah. a thing yep. that people are learning about. Um, kind of the same thing with Antifa. I can't, the joke that I keep saying is like, Imagine the most obscure, like, imagine the most obscure, like, uh, like baseball player or basketball player that you know a lot about, like a, a, a Celtics player or something like that. Yeah. Imagine you woke up one day and everyone was talking about that player. That's what sure. Antifa is to me because that's like it, the idea of Antifa is deeply rooted in, in like punk and like counterculture all the way back to the 19, late 1960s, 1970s. And it's a thing that I've... I've sort of like known about or has been in my sort of social purview since I was 15 years old, these like anarchists, Antifa. So <laughs> to wake up in the morning and everyone be talking about right, it, it's still yeah. a very surreal like experience for me. Yeah. Um, so all that is to say, John and I have different different life experiences with some of this stuff, um, but definitely don't necessarily have different takes on them being bad <laughs> or like not sure. a good, not a good or Christian approach to yeah. life. Correct. Make, that, is that fair? I think that, yeah, I think that's fair. So, um, you know, something that we've been talking about a lot or that keeps coming up, again, from the, like, Christian context, I know for me, I'm um, leery to get into the telling people how to be outraged, especially people who, you know, for me as, like, a white man. Um, it's not – I don't really feel like it's my place to tell somebody – here's how you be outraged about a system that oppresses you. But if somebody were to come to me and and say, like, what does the gospel say about this? Then I would be very honest with them about what it says about dehumanizing anybody, even those who are in turn dehumanizing you. You know, that's an interesting point. I think right there, um, I didn't know we were going to talk about that part. But, like, you know, we, we sometimes couch our phrasing in this idea of, like, as a white person or as a, and I understand it because there are times where we do have to realize, Hey, as a white person, maybe it's not good to speak up here or maybe it is good. You know, like there's, you absolutely have to do that sometimes. And and even sometimes when you think about where a female voice should be more prominent than a male voice on certain things and, but it's always been a male voice, right? Like, so there's certainly times to be able to, to do that. Um, but when it comes to like gospel, mm. you know, when it comes to like, um, how do we engage something faithful to scripture? To me, that is where, I, for me personally, that's where I would always be like, you know what, that that part doesn't, white, black doesn't matter to me, brown doesn't matter to me. Like I, if we're going to talk gospel response, you know, we do that together because I mean, it's literally written in the, like Paul writes it, right? There's neither Greek nor Jew, no, you know, male nor female and in the fact that like we are all in this together culturally sometimes like i think yes like you got to be like hey let's not mm-hmm. you know but i think when it, when we're trying to figure out and this is what we're going to do today is, is really like talk through some elements of scripture speaking into some of this stuff that um, might be helpful in terms of 
yes, we're going to talk some cultural elements of what does defund the police actually mean? What are some things that um, actually can be very scriptural based, you know, off of it? Mm-hmm. Um, what are maybe not? Mm-hmm. And then, um, and so I, I just some, sometimes I always want to like be careful, you know, even for us. And we are, yes, we're two white dudes, but yeah. like there's also just the reality. We're going to talk scripture here, which mm. that's a unifying thing. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that um, an added nuance to that, though, is that we always have to. So we're constantly existing in the reality of generational sin, right, which is biblical. Um, and uh, being aware of that and not and I don't think you and I do this necessarily, but we always want to be cautious of not falling into the idea that because we're talking about the gospel for some reason, history started yesterday, and so we can just talk about it from a blank sure. slate. I think yeah. even the gospel itself, like Jesus is constantly like couch, not couching, but contextualizing the things that he's saying uh, deep as deeply rooted in the traditions and cultures of like the people he's talking to at the time. All that is to say, um, when I say as a white person, I don't want to X, Y, or Z, um, even when it comes to the gospel, I think we just need to be aware that um, when we talk about the Bible, we are talking about, it's that dichotomy of like the same book, um, slaves read it, and we're like, wait, we should be free, and we're going to fight for that freedom. Slave masters read it, and we're like, oh, no, we should definitely have slaves. It's right here in the book. So just like... making sure that we stay contextualized in um, the way that we acknowledge um, that to say gospel is gospel, here's what it is, it transcends, you know, culture, race, gender. Um, We just have to acknowledge that, like, that has been misused, that, that idea has been misused for the oppression of people of color and indigenous people and totally women. Um, and all we can really say is you guys have listened to this podcast for 50 some out episodes and hopefully you trust us that we're not doing that. Yeah. You know, I think a right. lot of it is a trust building thing. Like how do I, as a white person, get up in front of people or, or, you know, the digital version of getting up in front of people via podcast and say, I know people have said this before to hurt you, but trust me, that's not my intent. Well, I sure. have to build that yeah. trust first. So. If this is your first episode, all we can do is ask that you trust us and go listen to other episodes yeah. to help build that trust. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And I think, too, when you start, listen, here's the gospel. Jesus is king, right? And then everything flows out of that. Jesus is king. He died on a cross. He rose again so that we could have real life, real freedom, and then build his kingdom here on this earth. That's that's the gospel. Mm-hmm. Now, that's been mis- misused and everything. People have always... You know, when people say that, you know, the United States of America is a Christian nation, first of all, that's not hard to dismantle. But mm-hmm. second, you know, even some of the early people like George Whitfield, who did some incredible things, you know, to see people come to Christ. But he also owned slaves. And he um, and that doesn't mean you throw away everything that he did. It doesn't mean that he wasn't a Christian or anything like that. It just means, you know what, like. You have to contextualize too, and and that's what we're doing. Like they're when we're going to bring up scripture, we have to realize, okay, all of scripture was written to specific people at specific times under specific circumstances. Some of which we don't go through right now. Mm-hmm. Some of which there are some correlations through, and so we've got to understand that part too when we start talking through scripture. Mm-hmm. That as we engage some of those cultural topics, yes, we engage history, 
because scripture did that. Absolutely. You know, it's always tying back into something else. And so we've got to learn, okay, when we talk about the gospel and the good news of Christ, how does that actually speak into this? Well, you have to then start talking about some of the history that's been here that, that we can then say, listen, some of these guys that came before us that did some really great things, um, don't deny that. But at the same time, they did some horrible things too. You got to bring that stuff up, not to just totally degrade who they are as people, because we don't know who we would have been in those scenarios, right? Like, I mean, sure, people are like whatever you're doing right now would tell you who you were, and and I agree to to you know to some level for sure. Um, but there are sometimes things where you're like, well, I didn't even realize that was like, hmm. I don't know. Maybe Whitfield would sit here and say, honestly, it was a huge mistake. I was trying to get the orphanage ready, and that's why he had slaves. Right. I was trying to get the orphanage ready. You know what? I paid them what they they were getting paid by other people. I thought I was doing the right thing because the good that was coming out of it for the orphanage that was also helping black families, I don't know, my bad. Mm-hmm. You know, like we he might say that. You know, so I think I think we also also have to always be careful with some of that stuff of just vilifying people where we like, you know what, maybe maybe they just didn't get it then or maybe they i don't know i just yeah yeah i think it's just striking a balance like i'm reading a book by james cone called a black theology of liberation it's extremely challenging book he wrote it in 1970 so he was freshly angry about uh mlk being assassinated but one of the um one of the things he talks about is um sort of this balance of allowing for the good that our church forefathers did, white church forefathers did. So he calls out Wesley, he calls out Luther, he basically calls out everybody. But but acknowledging that, like, yes, these people wrote letters or gave sermons about the evils of slavery, but then while also not erasing the fact that they could have done more and didn't. Um, sure. A big, I think in Crossing the Lynching Tree, he really goes in hard on um, Nemour, who was like a, a big sort of like modern theologian in the mm-hmm. in the 20th century. Nibor, I'm sorry, um, and basically says like he had he had a strong talk about um, civil rights, but never did anything. Or like here are the things that he did to like not actually move you know forward. It, it's funny the only, especially at this time in James Cone's writing, the only dude he really gives props to is Bonhoeffer, <laughs> right? A yeah. for obviously f- literally like fighting the Nazi regime, uh, which he. Bonhoeffer had complicated feelings about later in his life. But when Bonhoeffer came to America, he spent a lot of time with African-American people, like right. study in New York. Um, anyway, that's a little bit of an aside. But the point is that, yeah, we want to balance this like we can't apply what we know now to people then. But we also can't give people a free pass. Correct. To for not having done more because at the end of the day, it's kind of like I can't remember. Somebody said it the other day, like it should be a bumper sticker or a, or a shirt when we're having this conversation. But what about Quakers? Yeah. <laughs> it was like Quakers read the Bible. And were like, oh yeah, these people should be free. Like that, you know, they didn't have yeah. this complicated struggle uh, as much so um, as a lot of other like white Christians. They but they had like, other struggles. Sure, yeah, the, absolutely. That's the point, right? Yeah. Like that's like I think that's the thing that. You know, we were just talking about in the office before we got in here that, you know, I think what we're seeing a lot more of is you hear a side on something and you see like some good points and then, but then you realize there's also some big holes. Yeah. And, um, and I think the more we start 
becoming aware of that and actually humble enough to realize that even in our strongest opinions on things, we've got holes either either in other areas of our life or even in that strong opinion, there, there could be some holes. I think the humility that we need to have as Christians, honestly, um, would go a long way. And we don't see that a lot right now. Mm-hmm. Like if, if, you know, there's, there's a grouping of people just in my feed that are constantly, you know, going back and forth on things. And, and the thing is like, man, I, and they're all Christians. I'm just like, I just don't see like a lot of humility there, mm-hmm. um, with each other. And, um, I think that's a huge problem. Yeah, I think it's the old uh, don't don't say. I feel like we learned this in like leadership training. It's the old like don't say no but say yes and. Yeah, um, we're a no but society right now, um, and it would probably be, behoove us to become more of a yes and. Correct. Um, so back around to the original sort of assertion that we were going to talk about uh, this idea of dehumanizing individuals within a racist system um, or, or a broken system. Um, rather than focusing on the system. So, like, how do we humanize individuals while also um, calling out injustice in a system? Yeah. Essentially, how do we, as Christians, um, support uh, reformation, um, uh, redemption, justice, and repentance um, in a system while also speaking out against a phrase like all cops are bastards, um, which right. is sort of a wide sweeping thing. And to be fair, uh, the idea of a cab is less this idea of like sw- not necessarily well, it is a, an idea of sweeping generalizations, but the narrative around it is more like if you have one bad cop and four bad cop or four good cops that don't hold that cop accountable, you have five bad cops. That's yeah. the argument. Um, so it's a, even a little more nuanced than just the slogan would um, sort of account for. But um, we been, keep coming around to Ephesians 6 on this. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm going to read that because I think it's a, it's a very familiar passage. So in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, it says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Everyone loves that. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Everybody loves that. And typically what people will do then is they skip down to verse 13 where it starts talking about, like, what is God's armor? How does it work? What's the Bible? What's the sword? You know, like all those Ooh, things. like armor talk. Yeah. and <laughs> But, you know, when you skip over verse 12, it's actually a horrendous hermeneutical mistake. And um, verse 12, it says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in, he- in the heavenly places. So what you're seeing here. Um, first of all, is uh, not against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, meaning there are things going around spiritually that we do not understand, that we do not see, that this is the um, the enemies um, of God, like that we see the spiritual realm of things that is unseen. Like we, we might feel it, but we don't see it. And there's something to that, the against mighty powers in this dark world is looking at the authorities and structures in this world, meaning the way that um, these forces and the enemy and Satan, the way they manifest itself is actually through the systems and structures that are put in place throughout empires in in the history of this world. Mm. The, it is why Ephesians 6 is actually um, the best verse to use to just say like, 
you can't you can't even possibly have a Christian nation. It, it's not even it's not even possible because within every single system is this work of the enemy. And so um, even at the heart of every single, like I said, this this will come out in a sermon at some point, probably the Jesus for President sermon series. But, you know, I said to someone the other day, because um, we're in this conversation, and I said, okay, let me ask you this. If the founding fathers of our country fo- followed the Sermon on the Mount, like we're supposed to do as the indicator of how we follow Christ, would America exist? No. No. <laughs> and you can't get around that, right? right? Like, yeah. so... So even at the even at the foundational level, we have to understand. Okay, hold on a second. Then within the systems, um, that there that's how the, the the darkness manifests itself. And so now a rebuttal to um, this person didn't do that, but like I I actually put this out there. It's like now a rebuttal to would would America exist? Of course, it's no. But you can then say that there are some founding fathers who were Christians mm-hmm. that were trying to follow the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. right? And so which means that within the context of a system that is dark and a system that um, is where kind of the darkness manifests itself, within those systems are good people. Within those systems are followers of Christ. Within those systems are some good things that like, oh, that's light, right, within that system. And so you can see that. So when someone says something like, um, the police system is bad. It's not hard to argue that. Like, do you know what I mean? And even historically, goodness, like it's not, um, you sent me a great podcast on this and, um, and the history behind the police, you know, it's only a couple hundred years old, yeah. you know, and in the history behind it, not, it's, it's all either about colonization, um, slave trade. And there's a third one. And I can't remember what the third one is, but, um, but the history of it is, is about, like enacting power on people and trying to um, keep a certain system that was harmful to people, right? Mm-hmm. So systematically, the policing, it's not a good system. And then there are some things, there are generational sins and things that are set up through it, right? So when then someone turns around and says, yeah, but there's good police in it. Yes, mm-hmm. agreed, right? Like, so so it's the same idea, but what are we, what, what are we as believers and how do we view a systematic issue then we like okay what does the gospel then begin to speak into mm-hmm. a systematic issue so if we are sitting here talking about hey there's a policing issue well then how we do that is we don't dehumanize police officers mm-hmm. we don't just call them bastards we don't just you know say they're all horrible or anything like that what we do then is in my perspective is that we then engage what are the systematic issues within it that says okay how does the love of Christ speak into some of these things? And then, then that's where the conversation begins. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that um, even in, um, I don't know, I might catch heat for this, but like even in the, so the best possible history of the policing system is um, the Bobbies, which uh, William, I can't remember his last name now, uh, Peel, William Peel, English fella, uh, who basically started the London Metropolitan Police um, and he did it out of a model that he created quelling uprisings in Ireland during the colonization of, of Ireland by the British Empire. However, one of his goals was that when thing when civil unrest happened in Ireland, the options were send in the British military, which would be very bloody, or um, you know, just just let the uprising 
win um, and give back the land. Now, I'm obviously going to be pro just let the uprising win and give the land back to the people that you took it from. But his intention was to have a less bloody um, uh, uh, solution to uprisings. So there's good in that. Now, it's good couched within the ultimate bad of imperialism, of like sure. just yeah. going somewhere and taking the land from the people who traditionally had it. But even in that, there was some mercy in it. Now, the other sort of version of the beginning of American policing as, a, as the slave patrols is you'd be hard-pressed to find any good in that. Um, right. But, uh, you know, there, there's always these little specks of good um, uh, in these so, sort of like, just like there's good cops in a bad system, um, there's always these little specks of good in the wider sort of corrupt system, which further highlights this concept in Ephesians of it's not the flesh and blood, it's the powers and the principalities. Um, I would also say this, that like the reason that, um, I think the underlying reason that we're seeing the chanting of F12 and ACAB and like this stuff, um, uh, and, and abolish the police and this stuff spray painted everywhere and chanted in a lot of places is, is ostensibly a group of people asking those who, um, are, uh, you know, trust the policing system, asking them to, to imagine a world in which, all cops are bad cops, which is a sweeping generalization, right? Because, because again, of that argument of like, well, if there's one bad cop and four good cops that don't report the bad cop, you have five bad cops. I would like flip that on its head for people and think, imagine for a moment a world in which all cops are good cops. So 100% of cops are good people, like just, just like in the movies where like the cop is the good guy and 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 pol- the the people who go into policing are like the highest of the highest moral fiber somehow there's some magical test they can give them but the system is still broken well how how evil is a system that takes good people and makes them do bad things yeah. <laughs> like that's awful so like w- at some point maybe we can all come to an agreement that the system being broken is different and in some ways, not separate, but different and a parallel narrative to one cop doing something awful. Like, because I think, you know, even like Derek Chauvin, um, it kind of now has come out that there were lots of issues leading up to him killing George Floyd. So maybe he would be a good example of somebody who policing didn't corrupt. Maybe he had things going on way before policing came into it. Um, but overall, like, shouldn't we, for, again, for those of us who maybe sympathize with this idea of like ACAB or F12 or, or the sentiment, like, doesn't it behoove us to imagine the best of people and then, then point our energies toward a system that makes good people do evil things? And yeah. I know it's not that simple. We're like, oh, this is, they just like go into police academy and are told to do evil things. I totally understand that that is not the case at all. But like, as you direct your ire at these individual humans, shouldn't we, again, like w- think about what is it about this system that is, again, the power and principalities of evil that maybe makes a intrinsically good person put in a – we heard it from um, from Chernow, and I've heard it from my – you know, our neighbor, like that – Chernow said himself, the guy who was his uh, mentor – got fired for not making enough arrests, like literally was <laughs> was penalized for being engaging with the people that he, he uh, was meant to serve and protect rather than arresting or ticketing them.
um, I got a friend who's, you know, in the Secret Service, and um, he was told in certain scenarios that you're going to have to put your faith aside and um, or be vocal enough to just say, um, oh, that person is really into Jesus or he's not, you know, it's going to go against what he believes. And so you can't put him on this person's detail, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think as you're describing some of these things, it's like to me, there. To me, there are some different layers to this, though. Like, one, we've got to get to some of the root causes of some of the things that police officers have to deal with, and we can talk about that, that they shouldn't be dealing with, that there are other things that can be, could, could be put in play well before that have been shown to cause a lot of these things. I think, too, you know, I get the... Um, the discussion, obviously, of like, hey, there's a system where there's four good cops and one really bad one. And how bad is that system if those four good cops don't feel comfortable saying something? Right. Like, it's, right. that is a horrible element to the system. Yeah. And especially as believers, if they're in that system, it's like, man, like they're making it's a hard choice. Right. Because they could face persecution and everything. But those those I would just say Christian cops that are out there and there are a lot of them. They do have a spiritual responsibility as followers of Christ to step up hmm. and to engage in the right way and to make the crooked path straight, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they do have a moral and spiritual responsibility, responsibility as followers of Christ to do that. I would say a hole that's in that argument um, that I've just seen, because I've seen that a lot, you know, um, there are a couple of things there that I think people don't maybe necessarily fully take in. Like some folks that I've heard say that, and, it's, and you have not done this, but like some other liberal folks that I know that I follow are we're friends on you know social media platforms. They'll say that, but then like they never they they would not apply that to like other protesters, or they wouldn't apply that same reasoning to some people doing some really stupid stuff with rioting. Right? I know you would, but like they're. Like they don't apply that same reasoning of saying like, well, those dudes that lit the truck on fire, mm-hmm. like they're not, they're not adamantly seeking out justice there. They're not adamantly going out and being very vocal about, no, 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 what we're doing is good. We're not trying to do anything illegal. We're not trying to do any of that stuff. Like those people need to be, don't lump me into those people. But like, like I don't hear that mm. from that side in the same way. And I would also say this, getting outside of cops and, mm-hmm. you know, protesting or rioting or whatever. It's hard to use that argument because, um, and here's why, if you want to just use it as a, like a base, um, it's because all of us have friends that we've seen do some things that are not good mm-hmm. and we've not said anything about it mm-hmm. and we've not done anything about it. And, um, you know, in your college, you see someone cheat or, you know, a friend of yours is cheating on his girlfriend or cheating, you know, like doing like the doing like some some bad things. And um, and I even now as, you know, a 43 year old man um, and have been counseling some people and some stuff that people share to me. I'm like, man, like you, you're not I can't believe you're letting your friend keep doing that. Mm-hmm. I can't believe, you know, like and so so sometimes we've got to also take a step back and. Again, I think this is where the humility part comes in. But I think sometimes we've really got to take all of this in and saying like, okay, and I'm not trying to divert us away from the policing conversation, but like, man, this is a sweeping thing within all of us Mm. too, that we've just got to be 
realistic about, you know, um, as we kind of engage some of the thought process. Yeah, there's definitely, for us as Christians, a, a shirking of responsibility to be the per, the unpopular voice. Yeah. Um, whether it's on the bus with your baseball team or in the van with your, with your bandmates or just hanging out with whatever crew, um, there we have we do and have shirked our responsibility to be the person who's willing to like kill the vibe by saying like, Hey, that's not cool. You can't <laughs> yeah, right. say that. You can't make that joke. Like you, yeah. you shouldn't make that joke or like, that's not a kind thing to say. Yeah. But let me, I'm going to practice active listening with you. I heard you make two points. The first of which is that, um, the argument about one bad cop and four good cops making five bad cops, um, is hard to hold water because of, the hypocrisy that you've witnessed, um, and I would agree I've witnessed that, the hypocrisy that you've witnessed of um, folks making that assertion toward police but then not also applying it to protesters. In this scenario. In this scenario. So that's one. That's the yeah. first point you made. The second point you made, if I'm hearing you right, yeah. is um, back around to like we lack empathy, like we accuse police officers of not – holding their friends accountable or their coworkers accountable, but then we don't then realize that we do the same thing. Or have done it. Or have done it. Okay. So I'll respond. I want to respond to those things. Um, On the first point, um, I simultaneously agree with you and then also have a pushback. Yeah. Um, I am, and I was talking to a friend about, a, a fellow sort of demonstrator about this the other day. So... As it stands right now, Marcus David Peters Circle slash the former Lee Monument has kind of started to become known as an unsafe place, meaning um, there are folks there who there have there's been a presence there of armed protesters who have taken it upon themselves to um, what they call peace police. So um, somebody is going to spray paint something or throw a brick through a window or light something on fire, and they have fired their guns into the air to chase those people off. So, um, and you can see how that becomes a problem because now you are threatening someone's life with a firearm to protect property. So that's always tricky. Um, uh, And so I think that we need to acknowledge that the accountability that is being asked of a system cannot also be applied to a non-system. So the whole point of demonstration and protest is that it's decentralized. Like there are no – there are sort of like organic leaders, but there's you cannot sign up for like Antifa USA um, <laughs> sure. or, you know, there's no, there's no anarchist, uh, you know, registry. There's no benefits. You don't get dental. Um, but I would – I would argue. No, I'm sorry. Go yeah. Ahead. So, yep. so my pushback on that would be, it's a. It feels to me a little bit like a false equivalency. However, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about my frustration that, to your point, how can we ask accountability of someone else when we don't, when we can't, uh, exp- uh, when we can't exemplify accountability amongst our own movement? Sure. So there is definitely a thing of like. There's the toxic version of peace policing where somebody uses a gun to stop someone else from throwing a brick through a window of an unoccupied building. That's not good. But on the flip side, it's like if we're all having a conversation and this is about learning and growing and making a better society, um, I think that there's an aspect of it where the means become more important than the ends. And the ends is equality, is for a better life for people of color, um, indigenous people. 
um, and minorities in this country. Mm-hmm. But people are so upset. I think that there's a contingent of the movement that is so obsessed, and I would argue that it's primarily white, but people could argue against me on that. Um, that are so obsessed with the way that we're doing it, meaning it has to be decentralized. There can be no leadership. There can be no um, dissent within the ranks. Like, You're talking about the demonstration side. Yeah, on the yeah, demonstration yeah. side. Yeah. The, the, that are so obsessed with the idea that nobody's allowed to tell anybody else what to do that um, then if we can't hold one another accountable, how are we going to fight for accountability within the system? So I'm like... Both fr- and I'm frustrated by that sure. because I would agree. Like, though I would not falsely equivocate a system of policing with a decentralized non-system of protesters. I would say that like we need to. How can we ask for accountability when we ourselves don't have a system of accountability? See, I would say anytime you have a grouping of people, you have a system. Mm-hmm. So even like the idea that decentralized, there's a system there at play. Mm-hmm. And there's a culture at play. I would and say yes to a culture, no to a system. See, I but I yeah, and I but I would disagree. Like mm-hmm. I would say that the very fact that someone's quote unquote rules of the system are to have no rules of leadership or no like we're decentralizing, so there's no actual leadership going mm-hmm. on. Like that that is the rules and the structural framework of that system at play of a grouping of people. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't bring a grouping of people together without a system. Mm-hmm. And so even like otherwise you just have a bunch of individuals out there operating on their own systems mm-hmm. and their own thinking. So like I think um, my perspective on that. And so I think even the idea of a decentralized anything is still a system. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to see that in the same way we would say the demonic forces at play you're seeing that. So I think one thing we've also have to be careful of is the separation of someone who's a follower of Christ within any of these systems. Yes. And that is not happening. Mm. Like it is rare. And I really mean this to see a Christian police officer step forward to, you know, speak into it. Right. Mm -hmm. It happens. And it's been happening a little bit more, which has been great. Um, In the same way, it has also been pretty rare um, in what you're seeing now in, in the decentralized system Mm -hmm. of the demonstration and the protesting as a whole, believers are mixed in. Mm. And you do, I would, um, that is not biblical. Mm. I would agree with that. And so um, it's almost like, because I've been thinking a lot about this, even just per like a lot of our discussions, I I am now moving to a camp of saying, I, I actually wonder, and I, this is not even teased out in any way, so it's just it's like a raw thought, but like, I almost wonder if in the beginning when everything happened and like and there were Christians involved and everything else like an in initial push that was right and that was biblical. But now I I wonder if there should have been a separation point hmm. in saying hey believers not to like um like you sinners over there not in that way but being like because as a believer our focus is on Christ it doesn't mesh with the system that's at play. Mm-hmm. And so it'll overlap in certain things and we can talk about that stuff. But like, man, the believers, like, you know where the believers are in all of this and you know where they're meeting, you know where they're praying, you know what they're going after. It's, it's all gospel centered stuff. And I think that that's been one of the things that's actually really missing in all of this is, is the lack of separation of believers in, in a lot of it. And on either side of this, you know, topic that we're seeing and, um, you know, I mentioned this the other day, 
one of the most underrated things that's happened, in my opinion, is that NBA player that I tell, told about. I think it was Jonathan Isaacs, who's with the Orlando Magic. But he stood in the national anthem while everyone else kneeled. And he's a black guy. He also didn't have a Black Lives Matter. Yeah, shirt yeah, yeah. And um, so here he is, and just in his jersey, standing up. And then he goes to this interview. And I was like, man, this is so powerful what he's doing. He knew him standing what that was going to do. And what he's a um, ordained minister as well. And here's what was just so cool. Like, I was like, this is like such to me. I was like, this is the most Daniel thing I've seen Mm -hmm. because here's what he did. He stood for the national anthem, but not for the country Mm -hmm. and not for the police. He, He said like, that's not why he stood. He wasn't wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt, not because he doesn't believe Black Lives Matter, because he went on to talk about the inequalities and everything and why it matters to him. Um, he did it because he didn't want to be associated hmm. with an organization that does not represent Christ, right? And so, and then, <clears throat> and then when asked um, about like his teammates and everything being was in, he was like, "My teammates know me," and every single one of his teammates came out afterwards and were like. No, we know him. Like mm-hmm. this dude is not only on board yeah. with equality, but like he loves people passionately. And then he knew that him standing up in that way, the why question, and then it ended up being, let me tell you about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so it was this, I was like, that's Daniel. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that's one of the reasons why I just kind of stopped going down there, just thinking through what does it look like to create a larger separation, honestly. Mm-hmm. And going down there, you mean like going to any sort of like protests or? or... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, I just reread Daniel. Um, so it's interesting that you bring that up. But I also think it's probably not a coincidence. Like the, there's reasons that we're all sort of reading the same things we've sure, noticed yeah. <laughs> because maybe it's relevant to the time. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things I recognized or, or like sort of like uh, picked up on in this reading of Daniel was that he was a truth speaker in um, a, you know, he, he spoke the word of God and the truth of God in an environment that did not acknowledge Yahweh as, you know, in a non-Jewish context, basically. Um, and one thing I noticed, though, is that, like, Nebuchadnezzar didn't necessarily convert. (laughs) Like there were times when Daniel would do crazy things and like perfectly interpret the dreams and like just do God's work and do it in God's name or refuse to eat the the food of the idols or whatever. And Nebuchadnezzar would say like, oh, your God's great. Wow. How powerful is your God? Um, But like, I know it's debatable, uh, but it's definitely not canon that then Nebuchadnezzar became an Israelite, you know? Um, So I think that one big takeaway for me, whether it's a Christian in the police department or a Christian um, at work, you know, at another job or a Christian within uh, the movement is or a Christian on an NBA team is that um, you have to do the work like Daniel did the work of earning the trust of the people, the nonbelievers that he was around. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, he was an occupied person, so he was sort of forced into that situation. Yeah, we, yeah. we don't want to overlook that. Um, but he did the the work of earning the trust and like building the respect of those around him who are who were not believers like mm-hmm. he was, so that when it was time to speak truth, they would listen. Um, so it's like 
whether again, whether it's in a police department, like if you're doing the hard work as a Christian, as a police officer who's trying to follow Christ, if you do the hard work of like um, gaining the respect of the people around you um, and showing them Jesus in the times when you're not talking about the gospel or not talking about theology or not talking about morality, then when you do step up, it makes it uh, more likely that people will hear what you're saying and more likely that change will happen. Because that's another thing. Daniel created real change. Yeah, for sure. And um, he got asked by, you know, when Cyrus came in, you yeah. know, he was a non-believer as well and was asked to come back in, you mm-hmm. know. And so I would also say to that, which I think is important, is that if there is no separation, then you're not you're not doing it right. Do you know what I mean? Like Jesus would be a great example too. Like he went into all the places and all the religious people were like, why would you go down there? Why would you, you know, like why are you hanging out with those people, everything else. But even those people know there's a clear separation who Jesus was, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that's the part that I think we need to see more of in the midst of all of it. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think that what we as Christians tend to do is drop in, think that we can speak the gospel without credibility and then when it's received, yeah, yeah. Um, we say, isn't God powerful and think that we have an anointing or totally. something. And then when it's rejected, oh, well, you know, I'm a martyr for Christ. But it's like you can't just roll up into Marcus David Peter's circle or roll up on a teach-in in front of the Colosseum or whatever city you're in. You can't just roll up to like a demonstration and be like, well, Jesus says this if those people don't know and trust you from being there for them. yeah. Um, and sometimes maybe that means like, marching but like i know for me i'll march but there's certain chants i won't chant now is it a big public thing no people probably don't notice i'm not saying (laughs) certain things but for me it's like well no i don't agree with that so i'm not going to say that but i am here for you guys and i'm like sure here to do it um there are other great examples of that of just like people who take the time to build the respect and the trust um through love because like that that's the whole thing right like uh love your neighbor as yourself so that when it's time to speak gospel truth, people will at least listen, even if they don't agree. And I think that that goes for, you know, as you made the point earlier, that um, anything becomes, you know, any grouping of people becomes a culture or a system. You cannot just drop into that system and expect to be heard. You have to be there and do the hard work. And I think, I don't know if, you know, I tend to blame everything on consumerism. I don't know if it's our <laughs> consumerist lifestyle. I don't know if it's just being busy with other good things like raising our kids and and doing other work. But something about our flavor of Christianity in this country um, doesn't necessarily encourage us all the time to do the hard work of being there all the time so that when the moment comes, um, you're heard. Uh, when you speak the gospel, because that that NBA player, if he hadn't done that hard work in the in the locker room, those guys would have eaten him. Yeah, there's alive. No, no doubt about that. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. But again, I think that if he had come out into that press conference and perfectly spoke the gospel, but hadn't done the work in the locker room and those guys has, had eaten him alive. My fear is that the way that we always translate that in Christian culture is, well, they, persecution. You know, persecution. Yeah. Yep. The prophet is not welcome in his hometown. And I don't know that that's always the truth. I think sometimes we... It's not. It's not always the truth. It's almost... Ne- you know, I mean... It's rarely. Honestly, it's rarely. Because again, yeah. when people use that, they're referencing Jesus. Right. But again, Jesus was doing a lot of other great work. His reputation was already around, you know, so... It took three years for people to turn on him and kill him. I know. So... <laughs> 
Um, so anyway, that's that's the tea. It's been spilt. Um, I think really the point that ultimately we we're trying to make is just for us as Christians, um, whether you are appalled by something like ACAB or F12 or maybe whether you feel a sense of um, uh, understanding or like empathy, I guess, with that, you're certainly not called to um, completely dismiss people outright. Um, and that means not dismissing people who say those things and maybe wondering, staying curious about why they might say something that seems so yeah. harsh to you, but also not participating <laughs> on the yeah. other end in saying or thinking those types of things because our um, our battle is not against flesh and blood and dehumanizing people and saying they're bastards or saying they're pigs. Um, or for some people, I think the version of, although, you know, anarchist is actually like a actual ideology but i think like anarchist is like a thing that it's almost like the version of pigs you know it's right. like where it's just a dismissive these people are xyz as christians we're just not called to do that but we are called to build trust within a culture and then speak truth into a system yep um and that's all for today thanks everybody for joining us um if you have questions comments concerns quips or quotes um, you can email them to stay curious at hillcityrva.com. Follow us on Instagram, stay curious pod, um, or you can follow us on the bad website, but you might as well just stay off of it. That's twitter.com slash stay curious cast. Um, until next time, we uh, hope that you guys are out there and that you're staying curious.